Father, you are good. You are the good and amazing God, the God who created all things good. You are the God who reaches out to us in our brokenness, even in our sinfulness. And you call us into a very good relationship with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. You are the good God. You're aware of so many times when we have chosen to make your goodness not something that we focus on, where your goodness is not being reflected in our lives, where we are about our own stories, our own values, our own agendas. God, where we've given in to the expectations of others and the ways of this world. And we ask your forgiveness. You were the Holy One, the one who loves first. You are the righteous one. So God, as you forgive us, which we know you do in Jesus Christ, that it's already paid for, that, that we no longer live under the, the tyranny of the power of sin, but that we, because of your work, that we can come to you and we have life forevermore. And in this new life that we have, we ask that just as you are doing and will do with the confirmants, that for each one of us, that you would increase our knowledge, that you would in, in, allow our practices to, to grow more each day, that they would be so full of your goodness that those around us would notice, not just us, that they would notice you. And that, God, you would grow our commitment. That we would learn what it is to seek you first in all things. We bring to you the concerns that we have in our hearts, those things that we know that even are coming up this week that are, um, that are just before us. For some of us, that might mean a test at school, or that might be a, a relationship with a friend that we know uh, need some adjustment. It might be, God, that it's a marriage or a financial situation or we have this diagnosis or we're recovering from an operation. Whatever it is, God, we hand that to you and we ask that you would be present, that you would work out your story in our lives, that we would be able to trust you and place ourselves in your hands and, and know that you are the good God who's glorifying himself and capturing us up in your glory. And so even as we pray this morning, we, we know and we're thankful for the prayer that Jesus gave when he was here in this world. And he gave to his disciples and your followers, your children have been praying for centuries. And so would you hear from our hearts this morning that same prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. 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 Well, today is the day that we're finishing up our uh, sermon series on the good and beautiful God. And 
Uh, if you've missed some of those conversations, they are available uh, on our website, on our media page, also on our YouTube channel, and uh, you can uh, find them there. Today, our text is going to be Lamentations chapter 3, verses 19 through 33. Lamentations. You'll find it if between the books of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, um, this uh, book from the Old Testament. Uh, with your text open and, or making use of the screen, let us receive the Word of God this morning. Lamentations three, nineteen through 33. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a person that that person bear the yoke of his youth in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. May God bless the reading of his word. And we trust that God blesses this time as well. You might be aware of the Netflix show, The Movies That Made Us. I think we may have even mentioned that before. The Movies That Made Us, that this film looks at really films more from the movies that I enjoyed when I was a kid. And it's amazing how many of those films uh, were really made on the razor's edge, that that you wonder, how did it all come together? It seems so circumspect that the money would be there, that the director would line up, that you could cast the people you wanted to cast for the roles. In the one telling of a particular movie, uh, they were demonstrating how they had to bring a writer on at the last moment, and the writer was writing the script as the movie was being made, and that the daily filming was dependent upon the writer kicking out script each day. But isn't that kind of like us? That we're writing our own stories as we live our lives. We're, we're coming up with a script for the day right in front of us. In fact, we each kind of have this vision of our lives that is our own little uh, story arc. It has a beginning. We sense that that story arc has an end someplace. That we have a birth, we have a death. And that we have this vision for this uh, the story that we're writing in our own lives. And maybe we're not writing it by ourselves. There are parents that want to speak into it about the kind of classes we take or the kind of job we're going to pursue, which school we're going to go to. We keep writing this story in front of us. Coming up with a new script every time we find a challenge or an opportunity before us. In fact, because of those challenges and those opportunities, rather than some kind of smooth story arc, it might look a little bit more like this. This up and down, and we're just trying to figure it out, and we don't know what's going to be 
coming next in the story. I think you'll agree with me on this. Those of us that have an experience more privilege in this world, we actually feel more empowered to write our own scripts. Like we have multiple options we can choose from. I think this is behind also what Jesus says that, you know, it's, it's harder for a wealthy person, a, a privileged person, uh, um, to get in the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it's harder for a wealthy person to get in the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Just be, we have so many options before us, we can feel empowered simply to write our own stories. You know, even as Christians, we do this. We might say yes to God. We believe that there's some story before us. We believe there's some story after us and that God created the world before us and God's going to provide heaven in the future. But, but right now, we're going to write our own stories. It turns out, however, that there's a bigger, larger, longer, truer, eternal story being written for us. The arc of this story begins, as we found out from uh, Ephesians chapter 1, the arc of this story begins before the foundations of the world. And it continues on into all of eternity. It's a, a story that God is writing uh, for us and in, is inviting us into. In fact, when we look at our little lives, when we look at the little story arc of our life, it's just but a speck in this larger, bigger, longer, truer, eternal story that God is writing. The challenge that we have, the temptation that we face, is that we can get so wrapped up in writing our own story, of pursuing our own little worlds, our own little stories, that we effectively disassociate ourselves with God's longer, truer, larger, bigger, eternal story. From our passage today, we're going to hear some lessons that, that are going to help us understand what it is to be connected to that larger, bigger, longer, truer, eternal story. In fact, today what we're going to do is we're going to learn these lessons from our passage. I want to provide a, 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 a bit of an analogy and then describe how we might remain attached so that we might be defined by that larger, bigger, truer, eternal story of God. Well, that's what we'll do together. There have been times during history when uh, not just individuals, but the collection of God's people have effectively disassociated themselves with God's truer, longer, bigger, eternal story. In fact, the Bible tells of multiple times when God's children have done this. We know the bigger, longer, truer, eternal story. We know something of it. It's described in Scripture for us. We know that as part of that story, at one point God turned and called this man Abraham and said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless all the families of the world through you. And Abraham responded in faith. And we know that there was this time where God turned to Moses and, and Moses representing God's people. And, and God said, listen, I'm going to define a covenant with you. That under this covenant of Abraham, I want to give you insight that, that for your life to represent me in the world around you, here's how your little story can engage my big story. 
Here's how your little story can engage the bigger, longer, larger, truer, eternal story. And so he laid out a covenant. He said, you follow these things. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. You'll be a light to the nations. There came a time when David was here and, and, and God made that covenant. He said, listen, in the larger story, there's going to be a descendant of yours that's going to sit on the throne forever. It's part of the larger, bigger, truer story. But even just after the death of David, we find this situation where the people of God were buying into their own little micro stories. Their own, own little lifetimes, wanting to rewrite those lifetimes according to their own agendas, according to their own values according to their own wishes. And so the nation ended up dividing, and, and the northern nation of Israel uh, pursued its own agenda so severely that God brought judgment in upon them. As part of the covenant being lived out and saying, you can't just go about living your own story. Your best hope is my story. It's your only hope. Well, it turns out that in the 7th century B.C. that the southern kingdom of Judah was following the same pattern as the northern kingdom of Israel had. And so they were following their own little micro-stories according to their own little agendas. And so consequences came. And God had it so that the Babylonians came and, and took the Jewish leaders away. And because of, uh, of this consequence coming upon them, we find that the author of Lamentations provides this response. And, and it's such a, a skillfully written document that, that there are these five chapters, and the first two chapters are kind of a communal voice, and the last two chapters are kind of a communal voice. But in the center is this individual voice, and it's highly stylized. That It's an acrostic. So they take the Hebrew alphabet that has... 22 letters in it. And not only do they uh, have a verse for each of the letters, but they have three verses for each of the letter. And each of those verses in that stanza begins with the same letter of the alphabet, which simply tells us that much thought, much reflection, God, uh, God's Spirit very much being upon it. And we have this insight as a response, learning the lesson of pursuing one's own little life and disassociating from God's big story. So let's take a look at these lessons that we can uh, receive from this passage in Lamentations. We begin with that first triad, the first stanza, and it's uh, verses 19 through 21. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. So here the person's already experiencing the consequences of their choices, the punishment that God has brought about. He's going, listen, remember me. Re remember the bitterness that is already a part of my life. But even in that word remember, there's a calling out to the God who has the bigger, larger, longer, truer, more eternal story. He says, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. That posture, listen, I know. I know. And so in verse 21, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. We don't know what he's going to say yet, but even in this verse, there's a sense of, I know there's something bigger. I know that my life went, uh, went awry. I made choices, but I know I have hope because there's a bigger story, and I know something about that bigger story. 
We know that this is true also in the New Testament. We've referenced it in our sermon series, I think maybe even just last week. When we look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, we get this dynamic. Listen to the description of the big story, the bigger, truer, longer, uh, eternal story that we can be a part of. In verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you get that? That's the description of the big story. Then we have this engagement of the big story within our little stories. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. Do you get this? This is the same lesson, that this acknowledging that we are a part of God's story. Do you see this? Listen, in the midst of your life, you may have these setbacks. You may have these struggles and trials, these tests that go on in our lives. But it's part of a big story. And so the final part of 1 Peter's passage, acknowledging God's eternal story within our little stories, we read, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That call to align, to acknowledge that we are a part of God's bigger story. The second little lesson that we learn uh, comes from the next three verses in Lamentations. Verses 22, 23, and 24, which read like this, the steadfast love of the Lord. And in these three verses, by the way, it's grasping that God's eternal, larger, bigger, longer, truer story is defined by God's uh, eternal character, by who God is. And so as we read these verses, pick out those words that describe God's character. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, God is merciful. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. God's eternal story is built on God's eternal character. You know, if you've ever shopped for a house, or maybe you've been on, on uh, one of those home channels on, on, on the TV, and, and you've probably heard this phrase before, hey, this house has good bones. This house has good bones. And it's meant to tell you, listen, you may not get all of what's going on in here. Maybe it doesn't all, you don't understand it all, but inside this house, it's trustworthy. It, it can be counted on. It's, it's got a good structure. We may not understand all of the bigger story that God is working out. Maybe there's pieces of it we can't clearly see. And yet the, the passage reveals to us that God's, God has a character. God's character is good. He's full of steadfast love. He is, his faithfulness is great. We can trust in God even if we don't understand. And we can't see all the working out of his bigger, larger 
truer eternal story. Grasping that God's eternal story is defined by God's eternal character. The third thing, the third lesson we might pull from this passage is that uh, living according to God's eternal story requires waiting, seeking, and bearing. In the text, in these verses, we find uh, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a person that he or she bear the yoke in his youth. And here the yoke is the, this, this yoke of their sin, the, the yoke of the, uh, the sense of being caught uh, in the midst of choices, of focusing on our little micro story, of making our agenda the biggest thing. Because if you bear the yoke, then you'll learn the lesson and you'll make different choices going forward. Those who wait... In the Hebrew language, the two words being used here for wait have this connotation to them of, of being actively engaged. It's not like the waiting that, that we might be used to, like in amusement park lines, oh my gosh, or in you know, waiting room offices where you're going, I don't think I want to touch that magazine, or, or whatever it might be, that, that, that waiting that we just sit passively by. This is a, an engaged waking, uh, wait, waiting. We know these words, though, though, from the New Testament as well. In Philippians 3.20, it says, listen, our citizenship is in heaven. And from there we await a Savior. We're, we know of waiting. That God has promised that one day Jesus will return and make all things new. We are called to wait, to engage ourselves in the waiting. We also know that Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of heaven. And all the other things will be taken care of. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. Wait and seek. We know that in uh, Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. You see, in the Lamentations passage, it was take the, the yoke of your sin, the yoke of your judgment. Learn from that. Here we know that Jesus took all of our sin, all of our judgment. And so he invites us to take his yoke, the yoke of his command to love to be filled by his grace, to be filled with forgiveness, and then to take his command to love and to love God and to love others. Wait, seek, and bear the yoke. The fourth lesson we can pick up then from our passage is that engaging God's eternal story is costly. Listen, we know that Israel was chosen by God not because of any strength of theirs. Deuteronomy chapter 7, God explains it to them. He says, listen, it's not because of anything about you. Even as Josh said to the students here, it's not because you're awesome. You might be awesome, but it's not because you're awesome. God just chooses, and he chose the Israelites that they would be a light to the rest of the nations. And we today, we know that we are saved by grace, not because of our works, not because of something that sets us apart, but because God simply chooses. This is a great thing. Absolutely. But it also turns out to be a costly thing. In case of Israel, the suffering that they were experiencing as a result of their choices to focus on their own micro-stories according to their own wishes, they found themselves sitting alone. In fact, the, the writer his, here says, listen, let's put our mouth to the dust. Let's understand the right call to humility the idea of give his cheek um, and to be filled with insults. This idea of, listen, there are consequences that come. 
and to bear the weight of him. Jesus said, uh, he responded, there was this time in Matthew chapter 8, someone came to him and said, listen, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus' response to him was, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. In other words, listen, you want to follow me. It's a different road. In fact, he said in the Sermon on the Mount, listen, if someone hits you, turn the other, turn the other cheek. Expose yourself. You're, you're open. You're there to love your enemies. You're, you're to give yourself away. Take up your cross daily. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. To engage our life in the larger story, the bigger, truer, eternal story of God comes with cost, even though it's freely given. The fifth little lesson we'll learn is accepting God's eternal story is simply to receive salvation. In verse 31, for the Lord will not cast out, cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not afflict from his heart. I think some translations have he does not willingly afflict. In other words, this is not his passion to bring judgment. It's simply his wrath is in response to sin, but that's not his passion. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. The author is not casual about his story. He has this larger, bigger, longer, truer, eternal story. And it's a story of salvation that he catches us up in. So with those lessons, let's receive an analogy. Did you ever watch the movie The Truman Show? right, 1998, um, directed by Peter Weir, written by Andrew Nichol, starring Jim Carrey in the role as Truman Burbank. And the premise of the movie is that there's uh, these six unwanted babies, and this production company chose one of them. And the production company, this, this, uh, this film company, puts all these hidden cameras uh, up and they watch this child grow up into adulthood. It's in its 30th season. The whole world has been watching the story of this person growing up. But the person grows up in a false world. The production company creates the whole world that this person lives in. And this is the analogy of, uh, of what our lives are like. It's not that we're just Truman, that we're not just the character but we're the whole production company. And we kind of cooperate with all the other production companies and we're coming up with our own little false worlds, our, our own little description of, of we're going to live within these constraints. We're going to live defined by the things that we want it to be defined by. In the movie, we get to that point, we wonder, can Truman break free? Can he know the truth? And that's the question before us. In the midst of all of our little productions, all of our little false worlds, can we know the truth? Can we write ourselves out of our own little screenplays into something truer, bigger, larger, longer, eternal? Well, it turns out we can't. <laughs> but God can and does. God, through his grace, through Jesus Christ, he says, here's your door out your door out into 
the eternal story of God. And so it turns out our role then is simply to know the story, to abide in the protagonist, that there's this big story arc from the very beginning to the, to the end of eternity, and there's this, there's this protagonist that died on a cross and rose from the dead and ascended to be with the Father in heaven, and one day he's going to come back. And if we abide in this, this author, this, this protagonist, in the midst of the story, we have life. And here's how we do that. Do you know in James Bryan Smith's book that we've been using alongside this uh, sermon series, at the end of each chapter, he provides a soul training exercise. And so I put them up on the screen. You can see them. There's a, a whole list of them, sleep and silence and awareness of creation goes on. You know, he's got two other books in the series, The Good and Beautiful Life and The Good and Beautiful Community. And at the end of each of those chapters, he provides more soul training exercises. Of course, you could look up and read a book by Richard Foster called Celebration of Discipline. And he provides lists of these soul training exercises. He has in, uh, inward exercises, outward exercises, corporate exercises. You could read The Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard. And, and he lists them. He lists them and divides them between uh, abstinence, exercises of abstinence and, and exercises of engagement. All that's to show is that for a long time people have been learning what does it take to abide? How do we abide in Jesus? How do we keep learning that our little stories are not the final story? And so we adopt these practices. And they're a way to engage the God who writes the big story and remember that these little stories are not the final word. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you've had fits and starts in going about these stories on your own. You've had fits and starts. Maybe more fits than starts. It doesn't matter how many fits you have as long as you just keep starting again. And I know that for me, like right now, what I'm doing in my own uh, devotional life to engage me in this larger story is I, I, I'm reading a chapter of a gospel every day during a week before I move on to the next chapter uh, of a gospel. I'm spending time in silence before God. I'm, I, I'm spending time in devoted prayer for the congregation uh, there's some other things I'm doing in the midst of it, but those are some of the standard things I do each day. All that's to say is we're called to make use of these tools that the one who's writing the bigger story, we say, I want your story, not just my little story. There is a story behind you. The script was put into place long ago. It began before the foundations of the world and it goes on into eternity and when we belong to God, we belong to this eternal story. We belong to eternity. Yes, there's room for your ad-libbing. Yes, our voices are included in it. And yes, we have the option to throw fits, to throw tantrums, to, to demand a bigger trailer, to, to want rewrites on certain pieces. Yes, we can, we can push back. But the one story with the greatest end is the story that God writes and the story he wants you to live under, for me to live under every day of my life. That's the good and beautiful God. And to belong to him is to belong to his eternity. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are the God who loves, that you are the God who provides, that indeed you are working out the one story that brings glory and honor to you. And God, however we have tried to become the captain of our own story, the master of our own story, would you forgive us? Would you call us back to that great and eternal story that you are 
allowing us to be a part of. We thank you, God. We thank you that you're both good and beautiful and that your goodness, your beauty defines the life you want for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.